Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back to the Cajun Libertarian Live. I am your host, the Cajun Libertarian. Love to have y'all with us tonight as we get into the show. We'll be talking with Jennifer Moore, the state chair for the Pennsylvania Libertarian Party. We will talk about how she decided to get involved at this level, the 2021 projects, and how life has been since taking over. Also, how she's going to help libertarians elected in the next cycle tonight on the cajun libertarian live Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back. So if you want to go to my website, we have a new shirt online, CajunLibertarian.com. So please go visit that. You can always PayPal me, uh, Stripe me, all that good stuff. So getting into our sponsors so that we can get to the show, which we will have. Jennifer Moore, Chairwoman, Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania tonight. Our first sponsor comes to you from Lower Province, K2 Realty. Your home is your sanctuary. As a second-generation real estate agent, Laura Province knows the importance of helping her clients navigate through the home buying and or selling process. Whether you're buying your first home, a second investment property, or seeking the dream entertainment residence, you will have a seamless experience with K2 Realty. So please go check her out. She is in South Louisiana. Also, video debate. Vid Debate app is designed to give users the ability to use their God-given right of free speech to post up to three-minute videos on the topic of the day. Every day, Vid Debate will post a question in the hopes to draw a strong opinion from all sides of a range of topics from pop culture to politics. And Brian Lamar started that app, and it is now available on iOS and also Google. So, Samsung, check it out. Video Debate very popular and our last and final sponsor high-end bags and accessories fierce luxury by ashley that's fierce luxury by ashley.com fierce luxury is a high-end bag and accessories consignment store based online they carry the hottest brands like louis Vuitton, chanel gucci and hermes consign with them for a 30 percent fee 20 percent less than most consignment stores find them online at fierce luxury by ashley.com that's fierce luxury by ashley.com and on facebook in their exclusive group Fierce Luxury by Ashley. That's Fierce Luxury by Ashley.com. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Fantastic. So, without further ado, the lady of the night, Jennifer Moore, let's bring her on. Hey, hey. thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm good. We're going to meet in person next weekend, right? I was going to ask you the same question. <laughs> yeah, yep. I didn't know if you were going to be in uh, Jersey Shore or not. I will. We actually, I actually have a um, speaking slot on um, with Steve Sheets on Saturday morning. We're going to be talking about um, navigating a toxic political environment, so that should be fun. <laughs> and that then I'll be, be sharing. Yeah, and then I'm going to be sharing the board <laughs> meeting there. So um, the board meeting actually, Liz herself asked us to um, 
include the board meeting because it's usually always on the third Saturday. She asked us to have the in-person board meeting there so that it can be a part of her event. So, you know, with the perspectives on Liberty, um, one of the things that people can choose to see is, you know, how a board meeting works for a working political committee. So, (laughs) nice. Um, so it should be interesting. I, I, you're riding up with Steve Sheets, right? I believe so. In the airport. Yeah. Steve, yeah, um, yeah. I think is probably my biggest fan. Every time he talks about me, I feel nice. like I was Rick rolled. So <laughs> <laughs> you get to nice. sit in the car with him for several hours. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've had, uh, Steve Sheets on and him and I have talked several times and uh, he's pretty hilarious. I like Steve a lot. So yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, I'm yeah, I'm a so, Sheets fan too, so <laughs> a Sheets fan. <laughs> We've been working together nice. for a lot of years. I pick right, on him right. you know, pretty often, and you know he just takes As it you with should. good humor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pick on him even more. Like, don't relent. Nope. Double down on your picking on Steve Sheets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's, so he's watching, and he's probably laughing. He better be watching. And he better be laughing, I'm sure. Sam Rob says, uh, hey, Noel, looking forward to seeing you this weekend at Perspectives on Freedom. Yes, I look forward to seeing all of y'all as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you're going to be there. I assume that you were, but I didn't want to assume as well. I've been so busy. I'm trying to get everything going in the last minute. So my plane should get there about 109, according to the itinerary. Uh, And that's in Philly. So then you got, what, like two hour? Two hour drive, one hour drive? Yeah, it's a couple hours. I'm in the Philly suburbs. I actually have to work, so I won't be leaving until about five thirty, six o'clock. My kids are actually going on like a Cub Scout camping trip, and I wish so nice. much I could go with them, but I'm sure we'll have fun, you know, at the Libertarian event too. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll definitely yeah. have a bunch of fun. So uh you uh am I wrong in, in I'm pretty sure I remember this right, but Steve Sheets actually uh stepped down to run for Senate and then you got to take over. Is that correct? Yeah, I was always kind of Steve's exit plan. Um, so this is another thing that I need to pick on him about because the truth Absolutely. is, I when I came to this party, I never wanted to run for leadership. I never wanted to run for elected office. And I have done a lot of that now. So Nice. But, yeah, sorry, you know, I switched the wrong the screens right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. Um, I, I, we, I really wanted to hear your story and how – You've gotten from, uh, you know, where you used to be. I, I, if you want to give us a background on your how you came to libertarianism, but what like literally inspired you to to step into this kind of an op- environment into these kinds of shoes? Absolutely. Um, well, I was actually involved with the Republicans back in the mid aughts. I worked on the Dick DeVos campaign actually back in 2006. And uh-huh. um, yeah, I, I kind of walked out of the Republican Party during that time, just realizing that I didn't belong there. Um, a lot of it was war and, you know, things like that. Right. I mean, it's just, um, you know, being in West Michigan and, um, just, you know, looking at the different issues that were really important to them, I just knew I didn't belong. I was a libertarian. But at that time, I hadn't really found the party. And it was, you know, it was several years um, later, almost a decade later, when I decided to, you know, get back into politics. I was a stay-at-home mom, and I was, you know, kind of bored. And, you know, I was looking at the state of the world, and I started following things online. Um, and there was this event, the Mid-Atlantic Liberty Festival, that was going to happen in conjunction with the um, state 
convention that year um, in yeah. April. It was actually my birthday weekend. And I said to my husband, I want nice. to go to the Libertarian convention for my birthday. And he's like, are you serious, Jen? Like, you want to go to a political convention for your birthday? I'm like, yes, this is what I want to do. Um, <laughs> the event actually was planned by Steve Sheets and it ended up just going completely down in flames because there was, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was canceled because there were speakers that were not great. Um, you know, the type of thing that we see happen. on and off over the years with Macho Flash and just, you know, pretty horrible people attaching themselves to the Liberty Movement. We had Antifa bomb threats, the whole nine. Oh, but I decided Lord. to go anyway, despite the fact that it was, um, you know, canceled and go to the, uh, they had a smaller event where they had, you know, local speakers and, you know, of course the convention. I went, I got way too drunk. I had a terrible hangover. Um, I made a lot of friends. I had a really good time. But at that point, I said, I don't really want to be involved. You know, like, I'll come and, like, hang out and work on projects, but I don't want to be a leader. Um, So, you know, a few months went by, and Dr. Moulton walks into the picture, and we'll probably talk about him a little bit more later. But, you know, he had this list of positions that were uncontested, and there was one in my township for auditor. And I said, you know what, I've got a financial degree, I've got a financial background, it's only like a few days a year, I can probably handle this. So I decided to run for office. Um, Should have been an easy walk-in position. And I got my signatures, turned them in, and I was challenged by the Republican incumbent um, supervisor. Um, oh, I'm shocked. They, yeah, they wanted to challenge me off the ballot. It turned out that I needed 46 signatures, and the, and the Board of Elections told me I only needed 10, which is what the major parties need. So um, I went through the court case. I won. The judge gave me 10, 20 more days to go and get the rest of my signatures. So I went out and got like almost 100. But by the time all that was done, I was so angry at how things are stacked against minor parties. Um, And also Mm. the fact that I didn't really feel like at the state level there was much help. Like no one could even advise on where to find a lawyer or if our challenge was winnable. Uh, There was just no help. So I went on, I won my election, and I decided after that because I wanted to bring a focus on elections um, to the LPPA to run for Eastern Vice Chair. Um, so I won Eastern Vice Chair, and I served in that role for three years. During that time, I helped organize 11 counties. Um, and we, in 2019, using the same method, um, the Moulton Maneuver is what we call it, um, that Chuck Moulton coined that I had won my election in 2017. In 2019, we won 47 elections using that same method. Wow. And this year, we have ramped it up to the point where we're going to win well over 100. So... That kind of yeah, leads that, into what we're doing now, <laughs> right? And that uh, that that's the word on the street, right? Like, is that in 2022, uh, Pennsylvania is going to have a hundred elected libertarians in office, right? And so, well, um, go ahead. No, right now we have about 70. Um, you know, between those right. of us who were elected for and the ones that won in 2019, um. This year, what we did was we spent we sent six, about 16,000 letters to registered libertarians around the state um, saying nice. that there's this position in your township or borough, and if you want to run and you get on the ballot, you'll win. Um, we currently have 139 candidates on the ballot. 114 of them are uncontested. So we expect that we will very likely have 114 winners. Um, hmm. In addition to that, we're about to ramp up a write-in campaign. If this follows 2019. We won about half of our elections on write-in. 
So I'm hoping that we can win at least 50 more, maybe even 100 more. Um, so by the time that this is over, Pennsylvania very well could have more elected libertarians than the rest of the country combined. Um, and these 25 contested candidates, some of them have a really good shot too. You know, they're in areas where they, you know, don't have a high num vote count to actually win the election. They're out there knocking cool. doors and sending mailers. Um, you know, we may win some of those as well. Um, but as far as 2022, that is a, um, or even your elections are state level. Um, so it's state wrapping up. I do think that it's very possible for us to send someone to Harrisburg, you know, using some of the methods that have been, you know, perfected with things like the Frontier Project. We have areas where we have um, state reps, where we have a 10-year incumbent who always runs unopposed and, you know, very like low vote count, low population areas. I think that a motivated libertarian, if they got in there, knocked doors and really campaigned, they could do it. So what's the what what's the deal with Pennsylvania? Why why is that population so susceptible to um, conforming to the libertarian ideology or accepting of it and embracing of it? Right. Well, you know, it's the Keystone State. This is the cradle of liberty, and I think that what's happening here, the rest of the nation is going to follow. I know that we can pull off the molten maneuver in several other states. I mean, we just need to tweak it. Um, you know, we have. Here in Pennsylvania, we have some quirks of election law that lets us know who's on the ballot as far as Democrats and Republicans um, for about five right. or six weeks prior to um, our ballot access deadline. But in other places, even if they're just running write-ins, I think that people can win, um, especially up like in the Pennsylvania wilds and in the Poconos, you see just, you know, people who have this, you know, freedom attitude where we're seeing, you know, anywhere from six to nine percent of the vote. Um, the other thing that I can say in 2020, I ran for auditor general, um, and I ended up getting the highest vote totals for any third party in the state that year. Um, nice. And anywhere where we had down ballot running, where we had state reps running, um, or we had had people run in the recent past, my vote totals were much right. higher there. So all of this builds on each other. Um, right. The more candidates we run, the more people we have in elected office, I think the more successful all the subsequent runs are going to be. Right. So um, you got Joe Solosky running at the top of the ticket. And yep. then he's, I, he's I, seeking I, our nomination. Right. Okay. I'm sorry, but mm -hmm. I'm sure he'll get, I, I hope he gets it. He's fantastic. I hope he gets it's it too. A, <laughs> I, he's a great guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And but nobody's so announced it, it, against him yet. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it feels pretty much guaranteed. So yeah. the key to Pennsylvania's success, Governor Joe Solosky. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, and, and I've talked to him as well. I talked to him like uh, two weeks ago. I think that all of August has been basically Pennsylvania, which is freaking awesome. And then I'm going to get to meet y'all this weekend. But mm -hmm. uh, there, there's something I held in high regard when I talked to Larry Sharp and the way he did things. And that's using the top ticket to work the down ballot. Right. And, yeah. and to help those people coming up from the bottom, using the, the, the media coverage and your, your resources and tools at the top ticket to help out those down ballot. And I talked to Joe about the same thing and um, he, he verified that as well. And so uh, I, I think it's going to be a very good season for y'all. Actually, I know it is. And, and like you said, at, when we watch PA, what we're going to do is the rest of the country is going to be able to pull from that. Right. 
And we're going to see all those elected libertarians. We're going to see how Joe Soloski and Jennifer Moore used all of your assets to work all the way down and elect more. I, I, you're probably right. I don't know. I got a really good feeling about 2022, I'll be honest with you. But there's a high chance that you will actually have more libertarians elected to office <laughs> in the rest of the country. I just think that we're going to see a little bit of a wave in 2022. I think so, too. I think, that, I think everybody else is going to follow. Um, you know, yeah. this is we're learning how to leverage our data in ways that we never have before to use our voter registration list. And, um, you know, do bulk mailings and, you know, I'm one of my, you know, goals as chair was also to get us more active on social media, which I have not had to really do that much because our committee has been so great, but, you know, right. um, they're also, you know, leveraging data to, you know, make sure that we have the proper outreach. These are things that we didn't do a few years ago. You know, it just wasn't right. done. I mean, we had a couple hundred members. Now we're up over 1500, um, our voter registration base has been growing. Um, as far as our financials, we hired an executive director, Kevin Goggin, a couple of years ago. And, you know, we went from right. a few thousand dollars a year to, you know, a hundred thousand, like, which is, it seems small, you know, compared to a major party, but for a minor party, we can do a lot with those resources. So it's amazing to see the exponential growth and we have all the growing pains to go along with it, but you know, it is what it is. Always. I, Right. I'm excited about the people that, you know, I, I had the opportunity to talk to a lot of these libertarians who got the letters, who called us about ballot access. And I can't say enough, like a lot of them were already community leaders, um, you know, just they start giving you their job titles and you're just, you're just like, really? Wow. You know, and they're from all yep. over the libertarian spectrum. Um, you know, you might, you know, ask them what's taxation and they might not yell back that it's theft, you know, because they are, they don't understand, you know, the virtue signaling yet, but they are principled, good libertarians. And most of them want to serve their communities and they don't like something that they've seen at the local level, you know, whether it's taxation or it's, you know, issues that they've had with their zoning board, uh, and their property rights. I mean, all of right. them have strong opinions about, something that they've been paying attention to locally and now they want to be a constable or a supervisor or an auditor, you know, to take that on. So it's been amazing talking to them and, you know, having that opportunity. That's yeah, that's, that's very incredible. I mean, the, the, the vast majority of people that come to the Liberty movement and the libertarian party are people that, you know, they, they want to grow a garden without anybody's permission. Yep. They want to paint their shed without somebody's permission. You know, it, it's, that I hear that story so much, and I think it rings true in Pennsylvania, obviously, because you guys are electing so many libertarians. Yeah, a lot of it is just the nepotism, too. Of You know, it's like this one family that's always controlled this town, and they're hiring all of their, you know, their cousin's kids. And, you know, I think that it's time for some new blood making decisions. I hear that story over and over again, um, especially in the rural towns where it's been the same family controlling things. <laughs> In making decisions and you know all the tax money seems to be flowing in the wrong direction so one second yep absolutely i lost audio uh-oh let me make sure it ain't me i can hear you right Okay, let's try it now. Yep, can you hear me? Nope, lost audio. No. All right, 
Hold on. Let's see here one second, folks, if we can figure this out. Oh, so it is me. So Mohican says, uh, everybody says every they can hear everybody, but all of a sudden, I can't hear anything. <laughs> I can hear you just fine. Second, guys, I am so sorry. I think I can fix this really quick. And now we're back at it. Okay, so now that we got that fixed. Good yeah, now? I can hear you again. Okay, sorry about that, y'all. Anyway, Pennsylvania. Yeah, so you know. It, go ahead. I was going to say the most um, common um, positions that we're going to elect this year are a constable and auditor, um, which are both pretty right. important. Um, constable, um, their main job is to keep the peace at the polls, but they can also do things like, you know, warrant work and things like that. A lot of libertarians don't like to take it that far because, um, you know, they, they don't want to be involved with the courts. But, right. you know, it's optional. They can. Um, auditors are kind of a fiscal watchdog and, you know, they are the ones who audit the books and, you know, they keep the politicians honest. So um, those are really important. We're going to elect school board, um, which is really a big deal right now um, with everything going on with the pandemic. Um, right. I think that a lot of school board positions went uncontested because it's become such a stressful job. Um, where we've got mayors, we have supervisors. Um, those are the main ones that we're going to see. We also have judge and inspector of elections. Those are the people who, um, you know, ensure elections integrity. Um, right. So I'm, we're actually going to recruit really hard for those mayor, supervisor, um, borough council and school director jobs for right. in we're going to focus on those um, first, you know, hoping that we can get libertarians into some decision-making positions. So you guys have boroughs in Pennsylvania? We do. Yeah. Okay. They have boroughs in Alaska. So we'll be electing a bunch of people to um, council most likely, which is wonderful. That's incredible. They make decisions. And, you know, I'm telling you, the last couple auditors in my township, after they stepped down from auditor, they went on to um, work on the zoning board and make decisions about property rights. So that's an appointed position here. But still, just getting in and getting to know everybody can get you into those type of roles, um, which is really a big deal. And I believe that some of these constables are going to go on and run for sheriff and win. And some of these nice. mayors are going to run for state rep and win. Like, this is how we build. We build the bench this way, you know? Right, right. So what's it been like since you took over as the uh, the chair of the Libertarian <laughs> Party of Pennsylvania with all of its uh, intensity and just growth and success. How's that? How's life for you right now? Well, it's not an easy job to be in um, right. at all. Um, I know a lot of people heard about our convention and for the first time in the history of the party, we did not waive our 180 day requirement, which means about half of the people who um, were in attendance were not able to vote at the convention, um, which was tough. It was, you know, a, a tough fallout and the convention was very contested because of it. So, you know, I, I walked in into a tough situation um, because I certainly Very. didn't want to see it go that way. Um, so, you know, I walked in where a lot of people were already really mad at me because of the, the decisions of the delegation. 
Um, the very first thing that I did was try to meet with people from the different factions and hear them out and talk to them and try to integ integrate some of them into our various state level boards. Um, you know, we have gotten a few people on. There's not a lot of openings, um, but, you know, I've done my best to, um, you know, try to, you know, get everybody working together. I think that the Molten Maneuver really helped with that because I saw people from every faction put their differences aside right. and just work on this project and get people on the ballot so that we can get people elected. Um, it was really a good thing to see. But I'm telling you what, like since being the chair, I can't tell you how many people contact me because someone was mean to them on Facebook or Twitter. Like, <laughs> and I just like, there's nothing that I can do with that. Like, I mean, it's right. not like I can't enforce decorum outside of a board meeting. Um, I mean, there's just nothing I, there's simply nothing I can do with it. So right. I just have been like baffled. Um, it, it just, you know, it's just something that I can't, <laughs> from my position, I can't do much, but you know, I, I try to, you know, at least listen. Um, sometimes I agree, that, sometimes I disagree, but what, what are you going to do? You know, yeah. that, <laughs> no, uh, that, that, that doesn't surprise me at all to hear you yeah. say that those, those are the kinds of messages that you're getting because it's just. And it's um, heartbreaking man. when they won't contact me about ballot access because they don't want to bother me. And maybe a, right. you know, person didn't make the ballot because they didn't reach out, but they, but they contacted me about Twitter and I'm like, come on, man. Right. <laughs> you know, but you know, I have to say, you know, and this isn't talking about any one faction because I see it from every side of the fence um there's the same like six or ten people that like are constantly like instigators and everybody who works with us know who they are um they're the people that every time they have a dis disagreement with you they start yelling that you have no principles that you're corrupt that you're destroying the party right. you know um they're the people who are looking through the old minutes and bylaws looking for a gotcha, you know, and are very focused on that type of stuff. You know, they're the ones that everybody is saying, you know, we just got 139 people on the ballot and they're like throwing in old grievances. And yeah. we're like, literally no one but you is talking about that right now. <laughs> you know, um, you know, it, but I, I have to say that like 99% of us are working really well together and everybody knows who those instigators are. Right. And I'm telling you, they come from every faction. Everybody's got some. Um, but most people are ignoring that. And they're just, you know, working to, you know, grow the party, get people elected, um, right. you know, do what's right. Like, I, I can't say enough about the people who have ignored that stuff and not taken the bait. And have, you know, just continued to work on putting together our convention or, you know, increasing our membership or putting out, you know, a social media message that's professional, but, you know, still touches on our issues. Like, you know, it's most of this party is good. We're here for the right reasons. We're not here to fight. You know, the infighting happens. Um, right. I feel like I get a lot of the brunt of it because I get all the messages <laughs> about literally yeah, everything probably. from... You know, and honestly, my friends and allies are just as bad about it because, you know, they're complaining, too. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, we just need projects to work on together. Yeah, and most yeah. of the things that have come up that are really issues are because there was no collaboration. Um, you know, if somebody would have reached out between board meetings and said, why did this happen? What was the reasoning for this? Um, 
it probably would have gone a lot better than just, you know, assuming other people's motives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a huge issue amongst many organizations, right? It's probably the number one failure amongst, uh, I would say, at least 85% of of organizations of any sort of success, even if it's just, you know, 70 employees or 60 people, you know, even less. Communication is going to be the number one downfall of all of that because you when you don't communicate you assume somebody else's intentions you assume somebody else's emotions you, uh, we are assuming each other and everybody knows what assuming does right makes an ass out of you and me and so there's a breakdown in communication uh, that's why i find it to to be super constructive to have an open and honest dialogue that's me i understand not everybody's for that i get it a lot more people are reserved than me i spend a lot of time in front of a lot of people on the internet, I get it. It's easier for me to be transparent than a lot of people, but I hide it in whole regard because if I can be honest with you, Jennifer, and tell you, hey, look, that thing you just told me, I don't know what you mean, right? right. Can you please explain that to me? And then boom, now I've got some answers, but we, we can be honest with each other. Like, hey, I didn't understand what you meant by that. I didn't understand how you felt. Can you please explain that to me? You know, And that open form of communication will progress us so far. And honestly, there's been there's been a few times, too, where, you know, communication has had to be shut down because it's gotten so out of hand. Um, You know, we have we turned off the Zoom comments. Um, You know, it wasn't a unilateral decision by me, but I was very appreciative of it. And it was because we had these like destructive sidebar conversations um, during our meetings. And like in an in-person meeting, if someone was being disruptive like that, we would probably ask them to leave. Um, So in Zoom, it just wasn't appropriate. But a lot of people took that as the board shutting down communication and um, not allowing, you know, the membership to speak. Um, There is time for public commentary. And that's the time to bring that kind of thing up. Um, But. You know, it was just it was becoming such a distraction from the meetings to have people insulting each other. And there was no way for me to keep track of the Zoom. In the same sense, we had a slack that was set up for the state party um, and it ended up being like a lot of argument arguments. You know, our leadership's unprincipled. And, you know, I mean, it just ended up being insults thrown. And um, that is still there as a venue. But unfortunately, it didn't really hold up to the hopes because nobody wants to have to chair a 24-7 meeting. Um, right. You know, if we're going to set up these type of structures for people to talk all day and all night, like, I don't know. I mean, it's there almost have to be rules around them. And who's going to deal with that? You know, like, it can't be me. <laughs> so, right. you know, somebody has to manage it in, in some way, shape, or form. Because, yeah, moderate. I mean, yeah, if you've exactly, they have to moderate. If you've ever been the admin on like a libertarian Facebook group, you know how quickly things can devolve. <laughs> so, yeah, I've created a couple. <laughs> but yeah, but the problem yeah, with rough. that, you know, the other side of that coin is these things were created with no agreed upon rules or um, you know, just no no agreed upon decorum. So, like, how do you implement that later where everybody's going to agree to it? And, like, who has the authority to do so? Like, I mean, it just, yeah, we need that open dialogue, but I'm not sure what venue we can make it happen in. Well, um, okay, if, so let me let me be clear real quick. What I meant was yeah. I, I wasn't talking about uh, yeah. your 
commentary during the Zoom calls. I didn't right. know about that. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm hearing it live. Like most people probably are right now. I didn't know that. Um, I, I meant between like I'm going to use you for right. example because you're the chair. You and all of the people that you've surrounded yourself with as a team. Um, yeah. And that would go for anybody, right? If it was Steve Sheets still in that. And Steve Sheets still has to do that because he's running for Senate. Okay, right? right? So your teammates need the open dialogue. Let me be clear, though, for the, yeah. anybody that may be a part of that situation. That's not acceptable. Okay, if you're commenting oh. on Zoom and creating chaos during a board meeting of that, that is not the time or place. Don't do that. That's immature and childish, and it's not the right time or place. Sorry. You see it happen at the national level on their meetings where, like, the Zoom, like, is just, like, it gets insane. <laughs> yeah, um, it, I mean, it just it just happens that way. I think that when people are behind a keyboard, they're willing to say things that oh, they wouldn't otherwise. And so, you know, on the same line of um, conversation, I do think that I'm going to start setting up like, um, you know, monthly just, you know, office hours and have like a, exactly. you know, chairs forum so that we can get yep. into like a Zoom meeting and talk because I think that's going to be better than a Slack channel or a Zoom Thanks. chat. Um, so much gets lost in text. And I've even had disagreements in our subcommittees where they like thought I was being really serious when it wasn't quite like that because so much of the nuance gets lost in text. Absolutely. Yeah, so, and a lot of the nuance is what's missing in our conversations today, uh, not just among libertarians. I mean, amongst the general population, when we're out with each other, when we're talking online uh, with whoever, whomever we're uh, having a conversation with. Right. That nuance, that, that context is important. And so that, that a lot of times I'll get lengthy with my commentary just because I want to make sure that there's context there. Right. You understand the full complexities of the conversation that I'm trying to present forth. And there's just, I, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, Jennifer, I, I feel like we live in a microwave society. And that includes critical thinking. That includes conversation. We want that instant feedback. We want this um, slam dunk of a comment and then move on. But uh, I, I so much of it's within our echo chamber, too, um, you know, which is another, you know, and people don't realize quite how much of a spectrum libertarianism is. Right. Yeah, I'll throw the comments up there now and then. Yeah, I'm reading able to speak it, yeah. their mind, Rusty. I go through a lot of frustration when this when it comes to local school board meetings that lock parents out. Mm. You know, it's interesting. My um school board, um, they decided to. Be, we now have a mask mandate from the government, but my school oh, board before okay. that came about, um, they. They sent out a survey to all the parents asking how they felt about masks. And then they had an extended meeting that went for hours so they could hear everybody. Um, and they decided at the end of it, you know, based on the feedback from parents to go with masks um, in the schools for like a month or two. And then they would reevaluate it based on local case rates. But I really appreciated the fact that they took the time to engage with the local community. And sometimes it did get heated. Um, but, you know, our school board, I think, did a great job with it. You're not necessarily seeing that around the country. But that's the other thing, um, you know, getting into that conversation is I can approach my local school board as a parent and as a voter. I can't approach the governor. <laughs> right. So, you know, that that's a argument for being local. And I don't mind my kids yep. wearing a mask to school. But, you know, I it's different when it's coming from Harrisburg versus, you know, my school board where, you know, I know the school director lives down the street from me. Yeah, yeah, and I look if you as a parent want 
to send your children or kid child to school with a mask on. I, I fully support that. Uh, you know, that yeah. that's your choice, but I think it should be left up to the parent. Right. And, and if, if the, uh, the community feels like they're going to vote on it and that that is a complete democratic vote that the vast majority of the neighborhood wants to do that, then, you know, that's on the community. Right. Um, yeah. I, I just believe wholeheartedly that it should be, if you, if you want to send your, kid to school with a with a mask or without a mask that's your choice as a parent you don't owe anybody any explanation because you don't nobody else knows what that child might suffer from medically or mentally or anything like that and it really quite frankly isn't anybody's business my school has been wonderful with the options too like they um you know when all of that came about they offered like another enrollment period they have like two different um online options that you know one of them nice. is more long-term and one of them short-term. Um, I mean, they've been really, really good with just, you know, offering different situations. Like my kids right. need to be in school. Um, my daughter didn't do well um, with because she's only in second grade. And my son, who was already able to read, like he was okay with the remote stuff. My daughter fell behind. So I, right. if wearing a mask is what she needs to do to be in class and be learning in person, I'm totally fine with that. Like I just want her to be in school um, because, she, you know, without it, she fell way behind. And we're catching up. I mean, she'll be okay. I was um, a slow, you know, reader too when I learned and I was in some of those, you know, special classes. And, you know, by the time I got to high school, I was reading at a bachelor's degree level. So I hope it's the same for her. <laughs> and she just needs that little extra boost, you know. I hope so. It seems to be our education system seems to be uh, evolving by the second. So what you and I went through as kids, man, I, I, I don't know. I We don't put our kids in school. Um, my 13 year old who doesn't live with me, she does go to school. She spent a year out of school, actually, not because of COVID, just happened to be the same time frame, but she was not doing well in school. She spent the time in remote learning and it worked out homeschooling. And yeah. as soon as homeschooling happened, that's when the, uh, the, the, what is now endemic virus, uh, started spreading around. So it just kind of worked out where everybody had to be remote, but that was, something that we had decided for her as a child, but the remote learning did not work. She was terrible. I tell at you it. what, I, terrible at I wish, it. I wish that I could be a homeschooler, but it's just not, when I was a stay at home mom, like I became the director of a crisis pregnancy center. I got into politics and my husband was just like, Jen, you need to go back to work because you're not handling yeah. this. Um, <laughs> so like, I mean, I, I, you know, I went in a very young age, I got a graduate degree and I was always going to have a career and, um, you know, I'm really, really good at the healthcare finance stuff that I do. You know, I manage a team that does customer service, um, for the billing department for several hundred doctors. So, um, I love my job. I love going to work every day. I mean, I'm working remotely now, but, um, if I could find a homeschooler to pay to take my kids, I would love to go that route. Um, school choice. Yeah. At the same time, my public school is really, really good. Like I just went and met with my kids' teachers and they're doing like, I mean, they're, they're actually like, they get a paycheck and like they have to pay rent and like the whole nine. Like, I mean, they're learning, you know, just about personal finance and stuff in the fourth grade. (laughs) You know, I mean the stuff that, you know, when I, in, I I just, you know, I, I talked to the teachers in the school and it's just a really good school system. Um, I don't feel like I'm in an indoctrin factory when I'm there, you know, 
Um, I don't think that's the case with all public schools. There's a lot of disparity. Um, you know, some of them are just as bad as mine is good. And I have yeah. the resources and the ability to move into a district and live in a district, you know, where I have a choice. Not everybody has that. Nope. So I'm telling you what, the little farming community where I went to <laughs> school, they ended up, I was failing out of like five or six classes and they I thankfully had a good guidance counselor who pulled me in and asked what was right. wrong. And it turned out that I was bored and they sent me to college at 16. Um, and so I was able to get a lot of college classes out of the way, but like, I mean, it was just a situation where I was two books ahead in math, not because I was smart, but because I came from another school that that was just where we were. I mean, this, oh, the wow. school that was a few miles away was, um, you know, the next school district over. They just didn't have as robust of a program. Um, so it's amazing how different it can be within like a 10-mile radius, one public school to the next. Absolutely. Of course, that was 20 years ago, you know. Yeah. Um, well, still, though. It's changed. Uh, I, you know, those specific schools may have changed. But the overall atmosphere of public education and the Department of Public Education is not. Ever since the Department of Education was uh, uh, introduced in the what Jimmy Carter area or um, right before that, I can't remember quite exactly. We have seen a drop in education since then, mm -hmm. and, and that's because we don't we're not allowing our parents and children to go to the schools and learn the curriculums that are best suited for them instead of uh, being able to check A, B, C or D. And that's where we're at right now. Right. We're just poll learning. You got to learn how to multiple choice. How do you pass this um, this test? Not actually. How are we teaching children? That is one criticism that I actually do have is that they're not focusing on social studies um, like I would expect them to. Um, huh. I, I mean, I remember, I mean, my son's in fourth grade and when I was in fourth grade, we learned a lot about the history of our state and things like that. Um, they actually have like four marking periods and three of them are focused on science and only in the last one are they going to do any social studies at all. And I truly believe that's because they're not tested on social studies like they are on the STEM. Um, so, you know, they're, they're educating to the test and the science is very, very important, but you know, to the detriment of what, like, I'm not sure how it's going to pan out in the long term, where they're yeah. just, you know, educating to the standardized testing. Right. Exactly. And some kids are going to be vastly more interested in social studies. They're going to excel in social studies. They're not going to be great in science. That's why this kind of testing is faulty at, at worst, or I'm sorry, at best it's faulty because we're not actually advancing on the child's yeah. ability to learn a specific interest in a specific study that would benefit them because that's what they're, that's where their brain goes. And I, my, my wife's, or I'm sorry, not my wife, my, my wife is an educator. She's a homeschooler, but my stepmom just retired from 30 plus years of education. And she's like a real educator. She liked yeah. to take what, how the student learned what they were interested, how they were interested in learning the things that they would learn the best and at the fastest rate and worked on the things that they didn't work on as well. Right. She would adapt her teaching school skills to the student. That's a, that's what is supposed to be teaching. Anyway, you'll, 
That's a big yeah. topic for me. You know, Sorry. In a while, it's, <laughs> it's interesting because we looked into private schools and I toured several of them. And what I saw was that their curriculum was just, it just followed the public schools. Like I oh, wasn't absolutely. able to find a private school within driving distance that was going to offer any kind of a significantly different curriculum, which is one of the Not reasons why we didn't go that route. Um, it, it was the same exact thing. So I know that there are some in existence in the greater Philadelphia area that are really great. Right. But like, I also couldn't deal with an hour commute to school each way with my young kids. So yeah. Um, and see, but that's the issue, right? Is that you don't have the choice. And my right. stepmom, she worked in public schools. She never worked in private schools. So uh, if you saw it, it from word of mouth, that's still the number one communicator of business in the country or probably in the world. Is word of mouth. If you found out that Dina Olin, my stepmother, was like, she's a fantastic K through four teacher. She caters to the child. I would love to send my kid to her. You can't do that because based on your, right. it's just insane. It's incredible. Yeah. There it's is no in, choice. There's no it's, choice, which means there's no competition, which drives the education value down. Sorry. Well, you know, it's interesting because when we talk about school choice, one of the things I moved from, I talked about, you know, moving from one school district to the next and being way ahead in my new school district. Um, school of choice was not a thing yet in Michigan at that point. And what had to happen was both the school I was leaving had to agree to keep me. And I was right on the border. And the school that I was going to had to agree to let me stay there. Well, the school that I was in agreed to let me stay, um, but the school that I was going to said, no, we need the tax, you know, we need the revenue for her being here, so she has to come to us. Exactly. And so at that time, it was like, I don't know, like 6300 a year per student. It's way oh. more than that now. Oh. Um, but it was yep. not based on my education. I went to a place where I was way ahead of the curriculum. Um, to the point where in middle school, I was taking classes with the high schoolers, um, right. just to be taking the algebra classes I needed to take, um, just to stay in line with, to not go backwards in my books. <laughs> that right. we were, but, you know, I mean, it was really just driven by the almighty dollar that, you know, it wasn't about my education. It was how much revenue they could get from me being there. And I don't think anything's changed on that front. I imagine it has not. Because it's the same system, the same entity, uh, the same power apparatus that's running it right now. If there were true yeah. competition, then every one of the schools will be on the same level. It may take a while, but had it been competition from the gate like it was for a, a century or so, then you wouldn't have the slack in schooling. Maybe you'd have one or two. That would be the outlier, right? The outlier yeah. would be this school was two curriculums behind the average age student of the rest of the schoolings. But instead, what we have is the very opposite of that. We have a handful of schools that are way above, and then you have the standard. Yeah, it's interesting because we didn't really plan on getting onto the topic of school. No, we it's did not. not even really, it's not even really my niche. I'm a healthcare person. So I can, I was in the field when we implemented HIPAA. I was in the field when we implemented electronic medical records. Like I was a, a Affordable Care Act counselor for the first three years of the program while the website was crashing. Wow. So like, I mean, I have seen some government intervention that, you know, I, you. I honestly think the electronic medical records was the worst of everything that I've seen because they basically 
told us that we had to switch to electronic and we had to do it within a certain time frame or they were going to start taking away our Medicare reimbursement, Medicare Medicaid reimbursement. And so we rushed into this technology that really wasn't very good. And we right. still are having ripple effects in billing all these years later um, because we just, the, the technology just wasn't robust enough to handle what we were doing, but we had to do it by government mandate. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you that like all of our bills don't go out clean. Like people get bills that they were insurance adjustments weren't applied or, you know, and it's, it's, it has to do with our software. <laughs> wow. It's just an ugly, ugly scene. And, you know, when people are already really sick, um, it's really, really difficult to manage all of the bills you've got coming in when there's errors in them and, you know, to have to call a billing department like mine, um, HIPAA has come up a lot recently, too, you know, with all of the things that are going on. And, you know, HIPAA really didn't do a whole lot except for put barriers in place to get in your own records. Like, I mean, it's not it's not what people think it is. Um, yeah. It's not going to protect them in the ways that they think it is. It's not what the legislation was really for. So. No, I, I dealt with the medical system for I, I was in yeah. medical care while I was in the military. I was a medical professional, but. Uh, when I got out, uh, the since 2000, January 2018, I've spent a lot of time in the hospital due to a life-threatening disease that I'm finally getting over. So I fully understand what you're talking about right there. Well, Not fully well, understand, but it is I've got I've got 99 problems on my desk, and all of them are TRICARE and VA. Like, I'm not even joking. <laughs> wow. Like, I mean, getting that stuff paid is a nightmare. Um, you know, they ask for authorizations that you've already given them three times. They just don't pay the bills. That's my biggest fear when people talk about socialized medicine is that we're going to end up right. with VA for everybody. Um, because that's not going to go well. <laughs> no, not at all. It looks like, it looks like that's where we're headed. Yeah. And I mean, the VA is terrible. And just, yeah, I believe me, I, getting them to pay the bills is just not, it's not easy. And my, it, one of our largest, you I'm know, surprised. markets is in Texas. So we have, you know, I mean, you know, there's some huge bases down there. So, you know, I see a lot okay. of people with that insurance and it's tough. It's really tough um, because, you know, they call and they're getting the full bill and, you know, we can't even get, that's another thing. If there's any veterans out there, I get people calling me saying that, you know, the VA told me not to give you my ID number, not to give you any information. If you don't give us the information, we can't bill. <laughs> so the bill is going to come to you. That's just like a public service announcement. Like, like you got to work with me and give us the information that we need. I know that, you know, the military tells you not to, but if we don't have that ID number in your name and your social security number, like we're not going to be able to effectively get a claim out to them. <laughs> So I don't know if you have any personal experience with that, yeah. but you know, like we're stuck in a, between a rock and a hard place because if like we don't have the information we need, how are we going to send it? Yeah, I say, look, so many of us veterans come out of the military and we wind up libertarian for many, many, yep. many, 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 many reasons. The last thing we're about to try to do is release personal information that I the know government it. has told us not to release. Not to release. <laughs> I know it's, it, makes, it makes life very hard. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. Um, a few years ago, I actually volunteered at the USL at the Philadelphia airport. It was when my son was little, so it must have been about eight years ago. He was a baby. And Philadelphia is where all the families of the fallen come because they bring the remains to Dover. Um, and I didn't last very long in that volunteer position because it was really, 
really tough. Um, you know, you would have these people that just came from God knows where, and they're just still in right. shock because they just found out that their their son or daughter or husband or wife, you know, is gone. Before. And it was really, really like the ones that were suicides, like you could just tell by the cold way the orders were written that that's what mm-hmm. happened. Um, I mean, it just, you know, and these people would get off the plane and they would just be in shock and you'd offer them breakfast and you'd, you know, offer them a change of clean clothes and you would just get them down to the officers who were going to drive them down to Dover. And it was just heartbreaking. Um, It made me more libertarian. Like, I mean, that was probably one of the things that clinched it for me um, because every week we saw it, you know, um, and it was just, it all seemed so needless to me. There was this one morning where I was there. I would worked on Saturday mornings, so I was usually like cooking breakfast. And um, there was this kid who had just gotten back from 13 months in Afghanistan. He walks back in the kitchen. He says, "Is that real milk?" And I'm like, "What do you mean real milk?" And he's like, "It's never been powdered." And I'm like, "No, it's real milk." And he's like, "Can I have some?" I'm like, you can have the whole jug. <laughs> the things we take for granted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, you know, not having powdered milk. Um, you don't, you don't think about that until you've spent, you know, 13 months in the sandbox, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. I, I only Pow- lasted a few months in that one. Powdered milk is the worst at first. And then you're <laughs> like, you know what? I'm all right with it. And then at the end of it, you're like, I, I, I hate this so much. This is yeah. just as bad as when I first took the first sip. The powdered yeah. eggs are the same way. Are um, they? they? Yeah. They, they, I have powdered terrible. eggs down. I think I have powdered eggs and powdered milk downstairs in my, like, you know, the world's collapsing rations. Um, yeah. We actually, like, order, like, stuff from the Mormon church because they send you, like, these things of, like, flour and beans and rice that are, like, good, like, sealed for, like, 10 years. So yep. I, like, have all these piles of food in my basement because I am a libertarian still. <laughs> <laughs> she's a, right, she's so, a translation prepper. Right. So like, I mean, yeah. So, you know, I've got my bullets and I've got my food stores, like at least enough for a couple months, but I have the powdered eggs and powdered milk, but I don't think I've ever tried them when they get to the point where they're like, um, oh, the dog's behind me. I didn't realize she was back there. (laughs) I've seen her a couple of times. One of my dogs, I, that's my, um, she's a boxer lab mix. And I also have a tree and walker coon hound, um, that I adopted because her owner died of COVID last summer. So, um, She's she's a typical hound. Like she hears you, but she's not listening. And she does what she wants. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, fine. getting back to the powdered eggs and milk, I donate all that stuff to like pantries when they get close to their date. So I'm probably right. making somebody else suffer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all that stuff that nobody wants to eat. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that is a fact. But look, when you're desperate, when you're hungry, uh, then powdered yeah. eggs and that powdered milk, yep, yeah, it works. It works just fine. So. Jennifer, before we get off of here, is there anything else that we can do to help you out and what's going on in PA, the LPPA, and all of your people that are running that are literally going to win? Yep. I, you know, the main thing is always we appreciate donations. You can go to LPPA.org and, you know, we use that money for these mailings to help recruit candidates. So, you know, that's only going to help us, um, you know, continue to send these letters and find people to run right in. If you are in Pennsylvania and you are interested in running for office, please reach out to me. It's, my email is chairlppa.org. 
and let me know where you're at. I will take a look and see if there's anything open in your district that you can run for write-in and win, nice. um, especially if you're in a rural area. But even if you're in Philadelphia, there are a lot of judge and inspector of elections positions, and that's only a two-day-a-year commitment. Um, you know, so please, you know, reach out to me and I'll take a look and see if there's anything. There might not be, but there's a good chance there will be. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of positions around the state um, where just nobody's on the ballot. And if we don't get somebody in there, they're going to appoint either Democrat or Republican. And no matter what kind of libertarian yep. you are, it's better to have a libertarian there than a Democrat or Republican. Um, you can also go to my chair page on Facebook and there's a list of our contested candidates there. Um, they definitely would appreciate your support too, even if it's just a share of their content or a donation. Um, you know, we have a lot of great candidates who are running in contested races and there are real messengers. They're the ones right now who are, you know, putting the libertarian message out in their, in their community and letting everybody know what we're all about. So I know that was a lot, but <laughs> no, that's fine. those would be my ask. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. So you can always go to LPPA.org or reach out to Jennifer Moore on Facebook. It's the, um, I always forget, I always want to say at Pennsylvania chair, but that's not correct. What is yeah, it? Chair at, yep, chair at LPPA.org is chair my at email. LPPA. Okay. Yeah, that's my email. But um, I think, I don't know, my campaign team when I was running for chair put together my Facebook. I think it's more success for PA. Or something nice, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yes. Everybody's success in Pennsylvania, Joe Salas, right. the key to success. Should have for more the success to Pennsylvania. I do have one more ad to run uh, before Absolutely. I let you go. Um, I hope that you are on pins and needles. So here we go. Joe gets Joe gets for mayor of East Stroudsburg, East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Whatever Joe. Or whatever East Stroudsburg wants or needs, Joel gets. So Joel gets most important question of the day. For Jennifer Moore, the state chair for the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania, do you like turkey bacon? Tur bacon comes from pigs. Turkey bacon is an abomination. There it is. I'm sorry, Bonnie, our secretary. She loves turkey bacon. We <laughs> had this conversation. <laughs> but I have strong feelings on this. Like, what part of the turkey do you cut the bacon from, right? Like, it's mechanically separated. I don't know what it is, but it's not bacon. So, but going back to Joel Gatz, he would very, very much appreciate a donation um, to his campaign. And he is one of our great contested candidates who has a very winnable race. So if you send him a few bucks, he will definitely put it to good use. Joel Gatz for mayor. Joel Gatz. <laughs> Getsformayor.com. Whatever East Stroudsburg needs, Joel gets. Joel gets for mayor. Great plug, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> you helped him out. I love it. So, is there uh, before we before we get out of here, anything else? Last closing, final comments, please. Oh man, we've covered a lot. It was interesting yeah, the trajectory went, but you know that's another thing. Is you know as our season winds down, if you're in a state that you know wants to talk to the people who have worked on the molten maneuver, um, you know please reach out to us. We'll be pretty busy through November. You know how that goes, but. Um, yeah. You know, Chuck, Dr. Moulton, Wes Benedict was a huge help on this project. Um, his turkey bacon is for statist. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would be happy to advise other states to see if we can try to find um, a way for you to win some of these elections by finding loopholes in your election code as well. Um, it's something I'm very interested in here. I think that the party is here to win elections. That's what we exist for. We're a political party. 
So, I mean, it's the most important thing possible to me and we're, we're getting good at it. You are getting good at it. Uh, as of right now, I believe you're the best at it. So, um, <laughs> keep up the fantastic work. Keep trailblazing. I love that, uh, that terminology because it's very important as as the libertarian party is the third largest libertarian part as the third largest political party in at least the country probably the world we need to uh trailblaze we need to knock down trees and clear forests that haven't been cleared so far and you at pennsylvania in pennsylvania have done a phenomenal job of that thank you jennifer keep up the good work i can't wait to see you in literally like less than 48 hours i am that's true going to be there and that's kind of weird i've never been to pa so i'll get to meet all of y'all and i'm pretty excited it's a beautiful part of pa that you're coming to too nice it's not not like the suburbs of brotherly love here you know why they call it the city of brotherly love is because everybody fights all the time it's not even right. a joke like they are the most angry people on earth i thought everybody was mad at me for the first year i lived here <laughs> i love you to all my <laughs> southeastern pennsylvanians out there but you know it's true <laughs> It's hilarious. So, yeah, I mean, it is what it is, but you won't be in Philly yeah. long. So, <laughs> no, 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 just the weekend. Well, I really, I'll just be in Philly for like however long. And I, apparently, from Steve Sheets, it will not take him long because he does about ninety-seven oh, in a thirty-mile-hour zone. Apparently, I'm scared. Like you're for my taking, life. you're taking your life into your hands. You really are. I might walk. Like, I mean, people joke about it, but it's really not funny. It's scary. <laughs> tell, tell Liz I'll be late. All right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thank right. you so, <laughs> thank yeah, you so thank much, you. Jennifer. Yeah, this is a great conversation. I can't wait to see you this weekend. All right, I can't wait. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, thank you for being on. I'll see you soon. Yep. All right, bye. Bye bye. All right, thank you very much to Jennifer Moore, the chair for the Libertarian Party in the state of Pennsylvania. Fantastic. They are absolutely killing it up there i will be there this weekend if you didn't already hear the promotional about 15 times in the last 20 seconds so steve please for the love of god keep me in your mind i i i, I am less than 40 all right i am 38 and i when if it's a 40 mile an hour zone i will do 48 at backs so please please help help me I don't want to fear for my life. Thanks, Steve. I know you're still watching. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Uh, going to be a great time in PA this weekend. Thank you to all the sponsors for the show. Incredible. Um, there are more coming, which is, that just blows my mind. Uh, I hope you guys like that. <laughs> hey, Steve. We will be there in one piece. I hope that mean that doesn't mean like one collective piece. Like we'll all just be one human body and car because it's mangled in the back of an 18 wheeler all pieced together like a petri dish that was probably too dramatic for the internet my apologies anyway hope you like the new setup i'm in the room reason being because so many people and so many things are happening that the show i just can't contain it anymore there's times where i have to go live when the kids are still awake and the easiest way to do that <laughs> human centipede that, that is not the easiest way to do that. Disregard. I'm reading a comment right there. The easiest way to do that is to lock myself in the room so that we don't have to worry about two kids that are five and two wrecking the entire situation and never making it happen. Even though the government is messing with my internet, I can tell because when I don't talk about certain issues, my internet's fine. When I talk about certain issues, my internet is terrible. Steve Sheets says, don't forget your blindfold. Uh, 
I was just wrapping my face in an LSU flag, and that'll be that LSU Libertarian. So, anyway, I will see y'all in Pennsylvania live from Pennsylvania at least a couple of times over the weekend. Uh, I don't know if it'll be the same Cajun time, but it will be the same Cajun channel. And I am excited to be in PA this weekend talking with y'all and being with y'all live on the Cajun Libertarian. And I will see you soon. I love each and every one of you, and I am out.